Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, Chief Commerce Strategy Officer and Publicist, and Scott Wingo, CEO of Get Spiffy and co-founder of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 222 being recorded on Tuesday, June 9th. 2020. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg. And as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason Scott Show listeners. Today on the show, we are really excited to have someone that is ripped from the headlines. Um, while we were uh, doing our little pre-show, I got a notification that Amazon hit an all-time high right now at 2,555.55. So that's an interesting number. And here we are in episode 222. I don't know what all that means. I'm sure there's some some conspiracy theory in there. Um, And that's because yesterday, one of the top internet analysts put out a comprehensive internet report with some really juicy survey data. And as part of the outcome of that, he raised his price target to a street high of $3,300 for Amazon. So we've been trying to get him on the show and, and it worked out that, uh, you know, because of this report, we were able to get him on here real quick. So we're really excited to have RBC's managing director, Mark Mahaney, as our guest. Welcome, Mark. Hey, good to be here. Thank you, Scott. Mark, we're we're thrilled to have you. And obviously, Scott and I are both uh, super familiar with you and, and uh, read all of your stuff. Uh, but for some of our listeners that may not be as familiar with you, can you give us the kind of uh, the, the quick uh, highlights of your, your career and, and uh, what you do for RBC? Well, I'm the oldest and longest lasting uh, internet analyst on Wall Street. I, I say that when I walk into Starbucks, I still don't get a discount, but but it is true. I started in 98. The first week was this company uh, called the eBay that uh, called the office where I worked at Morgan Stanley and was trying to get through to the lead analyst, and they wanted somebody to understand and listen to the story. And so I did my best to try to understand it way back then. Shortly thereafter, I met Scott Wingo. So, uh, you know, both of those were key events in, uh, in my life. And, uh, and I've tried to understand Internet stocks for the last, uh, you know, 20, uh, 20, uh, uh, 22 years now. Uh, so that's, uh, that includes the e-commerce giants like uh, Amazon and eBay and some smaller names, Stitch Fix and Chewy, uh, uh, online ad names like Google and uh, Facebook, um, Snapchat, Pinterest, and then a bunch of um, interesting one-offs, uh, the travel names like Booking and Expedia, Netflix, Spotify, like media subscription uh, names like that. So I've got a group of there's six of us in San Francisco. We do our best to stay on top of uh, each of these uh, stocks. It's a fascinating industry, and that's what uh, that's that's the day job. Uh, fun fact: uh, understanding eBay is really difficult, but understanding Scott Wingo is even more challenging. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yes. Yeah. And he hasn't, Mark, you haven't aged at all. That's right. Uh, Same, you and me. We both actually look younger. Absolutely. Yeah, I think we can uh, agree on that. So let's dig into this report you put out yesterday. It was really fascinating. I've kind of been through it several times. The overarching theme was really kind of understanding COVID trends. So maybe we'll start there. Then, of course, we'll we'll look at kind of the Amazon call that you got out of that. What what did the what did the survey kind of surface for you as it relates to kind of COVID-19 and what's that doing for e-commerce short and long-term? Look, I, I, I lean pretty heavily on consumer surveys. Uh, most of the stocks, the companies I look at are consumer facing. So you have to understand what consumers think about these 
companies and how their positions have evolved over time. And this was our eighth annual, so we've been doing it for eight years. We've covered Amazon for 22 years, but for the last eight years, we've been surveying people. We have a decent size. It's all in the U.S., which is a, which is a limitation because obviously uh, at least half of Amazon's business is overseas. But we want to try to see what people think about Amazon, whether their satisfaction is rising or falling, intentions to purchase on Amazon, what people are buying on Amazon, how much they spend, how frequently. And then we're, as you pointed out, Scott, like this isn't happening in a vacuum this year. This is happening in uh, during, uh, you know, the, hopefully the only pandemic of our lives and uh, an event that's had dramatic implications. I think it's almost been like a, like a huge billboard for online retail, the, the necessities of purchasing uh, uh, products online, the, the, the benefits of purchasing uh, products online, too. So we thought this, um, uh, the survey would show, our assumption was that it would show an accelerated shift to e-commerce. It did. Uh, there's plenty of data out there uh, uh, from the Department of Commerce, from uh, companies like, I mean, my, my funnest data point, of, frankly, of the last month is that eBay is now growing its GMV, general merchandise uh, volume or value, I forget which one, but it's growing it by 25%. eBay hasn't grown at that level in over a decade. It says something about how much of a boost to e-commerce this COVID crisis has been. We all want to shop. We all need to shop. We just can't go out, so we're shopping from home. And uh, anyway, that's one of the things that came through in the uh, the survey we saw uh, record high levels of, uh, of purchases online of, uh, of frequency and spend and not by the way not just with Amazon but with other companies too that's that's amazing uh, I think one of the common conversations I've had with clients is you know we see that big spike and then you know the magic question is how much of that spike is permanent, right? Like I, I would imagine you don't expect that eBay is going to be able to maintain that that 28% GMV growth, for example. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't expect it. And I think spike is the right right way to think about it. I think it's a spike, though, within a trend. And Scott knows this, and you know this just as well, uh, Jason. You know, we've, we've, uh, we've gone through the last two decades um, watching a greater and greater percentage of our spend occurring through online channels. We all know this. We've all lived through it. And um, so we just had kind of an acceleration in this spend. It's almost as if, you know, every year we were going to bounce up a point or two in terms of online retail share. We were going to go from 9% to 10% to 11%, you know, annually. And instead, what we have, what happened with this crisis is I think we just, you know, we just kind of did a leap here. Like we, we went from, we, we probably gained two to 300 bips of, of, um, of share shift from offline to online, particularly in some of the more entrenched physical store retail categories. Think groceries, think consumer staples. I think those have really gapped up. I'm sure that the rate of year-over-year growth in online retail will will ebb down, will wave down a little bit. But I think you know it's going to wave down from a higher level. And so you know, net net, we're going to just see this rising, accelerated adoption of um, of online retail and companies that are in the middle of this. Obviously, Amazon, eBay too, Shopify. There's a couple of these platforms that are going to really benefit from this, and you'll see it in their fundamentals. And the market has already anticipated all this by bidding these stocks up to all-time highs. That's true in the case of Shopify. It's true in the case of Amazon. Yeah, um, I, I like to talk about COVID as kind of a, a time machine that you know maybe warped us five years in the future in like five minutes. Yeah, which is amazing. I like that. Um, the and so cool. So you know that's the opening opening premise of your report is uh, man, we've rapidly accelerated adoption of digital shopping. Um, and then, you know, the, the next big insight is 
Uh, and Amazon is particularly pr uh, primed to be the structural winner of this growth. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, you know, you, if you had asked anybody what, you know, who would be the winner off of a surge in online retail, you know, nine out of 10 people would have said Amazon anyway. And by the way, that's pretty consistent with what we see in our survey results. We have asked people for years, um, which shopping sites do you use most often? And nine out of 10 times, it's Amazon. Over the last uh, six years, the answer has been 90%, 89, 93, 90, 91, 91. I mean, also, all those are the percentage of respondents who say they shop on Amazon. Now, there have been some interesting fluctuations below that. Uh, eBay used to have almost 40% of respondents say that it was a site that they commonly use. That's that's drifted down to 30%. And in the meantime, Walmart and uh, eBay have really kind of switched places. Walmart's gone from 30% as an online site where people, that people use most commonly up to now over 40%. So very interesting turn there. But with Amazon, they've stayed very consistently at the top. Uh, we do see that they um, rank highest in terms of things like uh, price, selection and convenience, particularly notable, though, is the gap between them and their competitors in terms of selection and convenience based on our survey work. Um, there are There is one negative thing. I know we're going to get to it in terms of satisfaction, but the general results here show increased uh, frequency of purchase, greater uh, amount of purchase. And then they've got this program called Amazon Prime, which I imagine, uh, and I'm sure the uh, Wingo family has been a longstanding member of uh, and uh, uh, we saw penetration of that gap up to record high levels and now reach 67%. Amazon earlier this year disclosed that they had about 150 million uh, global Prime subscribers based on the survey work, thinking about where the numbers could go. We think that they are rapidly approaching, they will rapidly approach 200 million by the end of this year. That's a lot of people. They're more loyal than regular Amazon customers. They spend more, they spend more frequently. It's a, it's a great, um, uh, customer loyalty program. It's a great revenue loyalty program. It's a great profit loyalty program. Well, and when you say 67%, that's your survey data or your... Yes, that's right. Okay. So 67% of the, of the internet users that we surveyed um, are... Uh, no, I'm sorry. Of, Am of the people that we surveyed who said they were Amazon customers, 67% of those said that they were prime customers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've seen some estimates that have 50 to 60% of households so that kind of jives right in there. Yeah. And um, I bet you, but I bet you it did gap up, Scott. I, I bet you that's what's really happened, you know, in the last uh, month or two, I'm sure people's purchases on Amazon uh, gapped up. I mean, we, we know that they did. Amazon reported that in the March quarter. And, uh, and so I'm, my guess is that people realize, well, if I'm going to be ordering, if I'm staying at home, and I'm going to be ordering a lot of stuff on Amazon. I might as well, you know, gin up for this Prime program. I'm I'm pretty certain that's what happened in that. So that 56, 50 to sixty percent that you see in other reports. I mean, those I'm sure all those numbers went up. I don't, you know, the truth is probably somewhere in between us all. But you know, that it definitely it definitely moved up pretty materially during this crisis. Yeah, and then as you said, it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows in the survey. You, you saw some interesting feedback on Amazon's customer service satisfaction. What what'd you what'd you find there? Yeah, and this is a this is a stumper. Um, I got plenty of theories, but you know it's hard to really know what's 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 going on. But we do ask these questions about you know we give everybody response to the survey about sixteen hundred people. We give them a variety of options: Are you extremely, very, moderately, slightly, or not at all satisfied? And of course, you would think that if they're you know if they're Amazon customers, they're probably not going to say they're not at all satisfied because then they wouldn't be Amazon customers. So you would expect to skew you know towards the extremely and the very satisfied. We've asked this question the same way, same uh, you know 
relatively large sample size over the years, and we've seen customer scores come down. Uh, it used to be 88% of customers back in 2013. Amazon customers said they were extremely or very satisfied. That now went down to 64% in 2020. Um, uh, and, and, you know, it, it dipped down in 2018, we noticed it, and then it just dipped down again. I think the reasons, I, if our survey is right, you know, I'm, I, I think it's right. You know, we try to be pretty objective about this. We've done the same question over the years, so we do have a long time series here. I think there's a bunch of things that are happening. One is I'm sure there were some quality issues during the COVID crisis, uh, or still are. It's just hard to, for a while there, they they weren't stocking uh, non-essential um items and then there were delays in getting a lot of products so i'm sure that hurt their satisfaction secondly over the years they've increasingly uh, included a lot of third-party sellers and i think there may that may have increased the the risk of quality control problems not so much in the delivery but in the actual quality of the product and any customer service around that the product if you if you um, you know the, the the more sellers you put on that network you add a selection there's almost always going to be a trade-off in terms of quality third the company is so big that it kind of gets embroiled positively or negatively in kind of local controversies, labor regulations, taxes, things like that. So it's just, it's become so big, it's kind of hard for that stuff not to kind of come up. Fourth is, as they move into categories that are really tough to fulfill, and groceries is at the top of the list, um, I think that can create satisfaction problems. I, for one, am one of those people who've had a hard time getting a slot for Amazon Fresh, and I had one delivery that just didn't come through. can't recall ever having that with any other Amazon product that I've bought. So I think a couple of these things have kind of come together, and maybe the ad units that they have in there, the sponsored listings products, maybe maybe putting a few too many of those you know, in the Amazon shopping results is dinged satisfaction. I don't know. I, I just throw out five reasons. They're all just guesses on our part. Uh, but we do know what the trend is based on our survey data that satisfaction is coming down. And you know, this is a serious issue. The company needs to address it. We think they can. If they don't, that, that'll, that, that will impact growth. If they can solve it, they'll be able to sustain the growth they have. But what do you think? You think I'm full of baloney? Yeah, I think you're right, but I think I think they can recover. I, I think that they they were not expecting, you know, from March 15 to April 15. I think they got in that 30 day window, um, which is probably pretty around when you did your survey. Um, you know, the delivery times really spread out. Uh, Jason and I were just talking offline, and you know, he got up to three or four days. I was out weeks here in North Carolina, um, so it, we're back to normal now. So, so I think they've added a ton of capacity. They don't release numbers on this, but I know they bought 20,000 delivery vans. I would bet they've doubled or tripled that just kind of anecdotally in my area. I'm, you know, I actually know where the center is and just the number of trucks in general is huge now. So, so I think, I think they can recover. Jason had some more quantitative data. Jason, what, what, what did you see? Yeah. Uh, I was mentioning the marketplace pulse, um, monitors uh reviews of third-party sellers on amazon so like you know how, how uh satisfied uh buyers were that bought from these third-party sellers and in general on average uh there are about four hundred thousand negative reviews of sellers a month on amazon that's kind of the baseline and at the peak of covid uh those negative reviews went up above eight hundred thousand um so my my premise there is Amazon totally curtailed FBA, the the service level for all these third-party sellers fulfillment went down and there were a lot of negative reviews. And then they also scraped the positive reviews of sellers. And in general, 94% of all transactions result in a positive review for that seller. 
or when people write reviews, 94% are positive. And during COVID, that 94% fell down to about 85%. So like, I, I think there's numerous uh, data points here that are all pointing to the same thing that like consumers rushed to digital, the service level on digital dropped because we weren't prepared for that, that level of, of spike. And that, that created some negative sentiment, but that my hypothesis certainly would be Amazon's way better suited than almost anyone else to address those capacity issues and recover from that negative sentiment. Okay. Super. Yeah. Uh, so, and it, like, so clearly the retail business for Amazon's in a pretty good place. So, like more people are shopping digitally. And as you, you pointed out for a variety of reasons, Amazon's super well, well sit, situated structurally to, to benefit from that transition. Um, uh, but you also talked a little bit about uh, the other parts of Amazon's uh, business in the mix. And, you know, like from a revenue standpoint, that's Amazon Web Services. But increasingly, that's also uh, Amazon Marketing Services. Uh, like what how are you thinking about those when you when you think about uh, Amazon's uh, growth potential? We've referred to Amazon as the greatest big shift story in technology. And what I mean by that, what we mean by that is its fastest growing businesses are its highest margin businesses. It's a great position to be in, like from a business model perspective. The opposite is kind of Google. They they invented this thing, which is probably the highest margin business ever. Uh, that's search advertising. And anything they went into after that would have lower margins. Um, and... Uh, you know, whether that's hardware or, or cloud. So for uh, Amazon, the mix shift story is they uh, have this um, retail business uh, that's uh, got, uh, you know, two, three percent operating margins uh, growing at, uh, you know, 15 to 20 percent year over year uh, faster now. And um, uh, and then you've got these app, this advertising business, which is probably 30 percent uh, margins that's growing kind of like 50 percent, 40 to 50 percent year over year. And it's AWS business, which has also got about 30 percent operating margins. That's also growing about 40 percent, 30 to 40 percent year over year. So faster growth businesses, higher margins means just your overall margins are going to rise. So that's kind of the business model. So what? Uh, of um, of uh, of Amazon. That's why, and Scott will remember this, back in 2014 when for the first time ever Amazon disclosed what the margins were like on its AWS business, the stock gapped up. The stock re-rated. It's almost as if the ticker had been changed from AMZN to AWS because the market was so surprised that what, what, they, what everybody thought, including me, that the AWS was just a commodity, low-margin business. Turned out it was a high-margin business, and that was fundamentally really positive for uh, for Amazon because it, it suggested this mix shift and the idea that long-term you could have a nice upward uh, trend in uh, margins. Amazon advertising and Amazon uh, cloud services, they're both uh, you know sizable businesses now, uh, roughly $10 billion run rate for advertising, a little bit more than that. Roughly $30 billion for AWS, it's a little bit more than that. And again, highly profitable. Amazon as an advertising platform is the third largest generator of advertising uh, outside uh, worldwide, you know, ex, ex China. And, uh, and when we looked at all of the ad platforms during this COVID, uh, crisis and looked to see all of them, uh, had material impacts on their revenue growth, except one that's Amazon, Amazon's advertising revenue. It looks like it's going to decelerate, but just modestly compared to, 
Facebook compared to Google, compared to the trade desk or Pinterest or Twitter or Snap. So um, they they they've uh, that that they've got lightning in a bottle there. And in AWS, uh, the cloud business is probably also a big beneficiary. Uh, it's probably a structural winner from the COVID crisis because uh, of the dramatic in, in, dramatically increased uh, capacity needs uh, driven by work from home, driven by remote computing. And there was a wonderful data point by this company called Zoom, which has now become a household name or at least a business office name. Uh, and uh, uh, Zoom had a 20x increase in usage. Total amount of minutes used uh, on Zoom went up 20x. Like it's hard to fathom any business dealing with that kind of surge in demand, yet they were able to do it. And the reason they were able to do it is because their cloud provider is Amazon, and Amazon allowed them to 20x increase their capacity in order to handle that kind of volume increase. I mean, you couldn't come up with a better advertisement for the for the durability, the flexibility, and the and the and the need for cloud services. If if uh, Zoom if Zoom uh, it wasn't an AWS, if they hadn't used AWS, I guarantee you they would have had dramatic um, blackouts. Their stock and and you know the follow-on, less important, but uh, their stock wouldn't their stock would be half of where it is now, something like that. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. Um, on the ad business in particular, I wonder if part of the reason that it had a slight deceleration isn't even related to potential demand for ads or opportunity on that platform. I wonder if it's tied to the issue we talked about earlier that like uh, temporarily Amazon supply chain was constrained and they turned down the service level for all those 3P sellers and fulfillment by Amazon. Like if, if Amazon tells you you have a non-essential product and they're not going to accept new shipments in their warehouse of your product, you're going to turn off the ads for that product. Um, and I, I, so, you know, it, it's not shocking that, that the ad sales decelerated a little bit, but I wonder if structurally, if a bigger percentage of customers are shifting online, like Amazon competes with Google and Facebook for ad dollars, but Amazon also competes with Walmart and Target and billboard providers for ad dollars. And I'll bet you, you know, my, my feeling is permanently, uh, demand for those ad dollars has, has has is likely to permanently shift to Amazon. So I think even on ad platforms, this might be like mostly favorable for them. That makes sense, Jason. That makes a lot of sense. Well, so some of your uh, your analyst colleagues out there, um, and I, I'll, I'll uh, full disclosure, I'll put myself in this camp. At some point, you know, they feel like Amazon is going to effectively compete directly with FedEx and UPS, meaning. You could, you know, you're in San Francisco, you could ship me a package on their network um, to North Carolina for like maybe four bucks a package versus the FedEx UPS eight to twelve dollars. Do you see that happening or or you're not in that camp? Uh, no, I think that's a probability. We laid that out. Uh, we did a report a couple of years ago called the fourth pillar. Try to figure out the next business that Amazon would go into. I think I got an email back from Seattle right after we published that report, something along the lines of you idiot. Why would you think we just have one more pillar? Um, uh, so that, I think they have a, a couple of things in mind. We've written deep, deep dive reports on their business to business opportunity. Um, you know, uh, business supplies, that sounds like logistics to me and Amazon's pretty damn good at logistics for consumers. So why not for businesses? So I think that build that business is uh, nicely building up. I'm curious as to what they'll do in pharmaceuticals, these physical 
uh, stores, the, these, uh, um, oh, what do they call them? Every, it's not the everything stores, the go stores. Thank you. The go stores. Um, I thought those Amazon go stores, I think that's a really interesting, really novel, uh, concept that actually solves something. It gives you more time. Uh, boy, what a wonderful, what a wonderful gift that is. And, uh, anyway, so I, I think there's a lot of, um, in, uh, areas that I think they're investing in and, you know, um, Amazon shipping services makes a ton of sense to me. I did pitch that to them as the title, you know, as the name for that segment. Uh, they just, they thought about it for a little bit. They didn't like the acronym. They thought that would be an odd summit. So they decided to go with something else. I think they went with shipping with Amazon, SWA. That's probably better than what I had thought of. And uh, my guess is that that building, that, 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 that business uh, builds up. Yeah, this is like, this strikes me just like uh, Amazon building out physical capacity to, um, to ship goods and services. You've got excess capacity, bring on third-party sellers. Amazon builds out all this compute uh, uh, network uh, to manage its own uh, large uh, needs. They have excess capacity, go ahead and retail it as AWS. Amazon builds out a distribution uh, network, a fulfillment network, a series of trucks to deliver its own products, and then third-party products sold on its site. Well, why not do it for third-party uh, products sold on, on third-party sites? It just seems like a natural extension. It's kind of like Amazon is the fixed-cost business. Just uh, They've got such bullish long-term views about how big online retail will be. Those views have been verified year in and year out that what you want to do is you want to vertically integrate and fix those costs. Therefore you get super high incremental margins. So I, I think it's, uh, you know, I think it's inevitable. I think they're actually darn close to the size of FedEx now in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, units. And uh, yeah, I would imagine that they'll surpass, you know, UPS within the next five years in terms of raw uh, shipping volume. Uh, that'll include a lot of their own shipments, but uh, over time, I would think they'd pass them in terms of other people's uh, uh, shipments too. Yeah, uh, I, I think uh, Scott and I both agree, even before they get there, even before they like try to sell those services, I think a, a unsung challenge at the moment is with all this increased digital demand, uh, you know, most retailers are talking about like seeing volumes that are similar to their traditional Cyber Monday, Black Friday volumes. And who who doesn't have capacity to fulfill that demand is FedEx and UPS. And so, you know, like, They've all just tacked on a bunch of surcharges. Um, and so if you're any retailer besides Amazon, you know, one of the, the negatives of all this increased digital demand is you don't really have uh, the ability to fulfill all that demand or at least to fulfill it cost effectively. And so owning as much of their own fulfillment as Amazon does is, I think, another huge structural competitive advantage. It's going to help them take more than their fair share of the digital growth. And, and it's, uh, I, I agree with you, Jason. And Scott, you asked the question, you, do you have the same answer that I would have that I just gave? Yeah, I think, I think they, you know, there's some incremental costs. You know, taking another package is, is almost free at some point when they build out all the infrastructure. So, so yeah, I think they get there. Yeah. It's a question of when. I've had it on my annual prediction show for three years and I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm sticking to it. The one time I take it off is when it'll happen. So we'll see. <laughs> I'll wait then. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to invest in it is wait till Scott gives, throws in the towel on the prediction. <laughs> show. Uh, the contrarian indicator. I got it. Exactly. Uh, I do want to pivot. Like you, you have really seen this industry grow up and there's a lot of interesting non-Amazon things going on right now. Um, one we talked about in our, our last show a lot was uh, like all of these new commerce initiatives at Facebook and the, you know, uh, are, are you following that at all? And what are, what are, 
what do you think? Um, is Facebook going to be a viable player in the commerce space? I'll give you my opinion. I'd love to hear yours. Uh, we um, we do a, a survey of social media companies. Uh, we've done this uh, semi-annually. Um, I think we've done this for four years now. And uh, the last one we published uh, just last week, uh, we asked uh, people uh, about their usage of Facebook Marketplace. And, uh, you know, simple question. We found that 51% of respondents had used Facebook Marketplace back in November. Last time we ran it, it was only 33%. So there's another e-commerce inflection point. We asked how many of you people on Instagram have made a purchase on Instagram. 23% of users said they had. Uh, six months ago, that was... Um, that was 15%. So, you know, this spike that we've seen in e-commerce is also translated onto these social media networks. I'm, 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 uh, I think this is a fast, fascinating area of, to, to explore. I don't know why they wouldn't be. Um, they certainly have got the traffic. Um, now it's not, it's not, um, conscious traffic. It's not, um, qualified traffic. I don't, when I want to shop, I don't go to Facebook when I want to, you know, I don't go to Instagram, but I happen to be on Instagram and Facebook a lot. You can put relevant ads in front of me. I just may not be in the mood to shop. I'm in the mood to shop when I'm on Amazon. So there's always going to be limits, but if they, but with the traffic they have, and if they can, get a little bit more of a picture of my commercial intent or not my intent, my interest, then there's a chance for them to tap into, what do you call that? Uh, impulse uh, shopping. And, uh, and then you, so you get that part. And what we're seeing in this, my raw data there says that there are, there is the opportunity to tap into impulse shopping on these sites. Now you got to go to the other side. You're not a vertically integrated marketplace. Uh, well, you're a marketplace, but you're not vertically integrated. So you better be careful not to put ads up there, and and then and then for a product where the inventory quickly sells out, and then uh, people are going to remember, yeah, I tried to buy on Facebook, and uh, you know that I uh, and it didn't work. Um, so what they need to do is partner with somebody who can really help them with the fulfillment. Uh, uh, you know, with the design of the site and they need to make it seamless. If I'm clicking on an ad and I got to click over and fill out the address and the credit card information, that's friction, friction, friction. Uh, but if they can, if they can, if they can, like the one thing, I don't know what percentage of people on Facebook have their credit card information stored with Facebook. I'm guessing it's less than 1%. Um, so that's something that Facebook is going to try to have to incentivize people to give them a rationale, a reason for putting their credit card data there. That gets them closer to one click. And then they need to work with a merchant partner like a Shopify, which is what they're doing, that can make that uh, that that flow uh, seamless and just make sure you get a picture into the inventory such that you're not showing, you know, the, the boots when you don't have them in inventory um, and can't get them, you know, within three or four days to the consumer. But I think all those pieces are coming together. So, yeah, I'm 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 increasingly bullish on this opportunity. And I think the pieces are coming together. Like I'm seeing the consumer intent in my survey work. I'm seeing them work with the right partners. I haven't seen enough of the actual experience. I've yet I've yet to have that mind blowing ease of shop like you know i'm checking out at the grocery store i just all i have to do is reach for the snickers and put it on the put it on the conveyor belt it's not that simple yet uh but if they get there that's if they can make that they won't surpass they won't supplant amazon by god that won't happen but they'll be able to tap into impulse shopping dollars in the way they haven't before i'm very intrigued by it scott what do you think 
Yeah. Yeah. It, it's interesting because it kind of, you have to kind of loop Shopify into the whole thing. So there's, there's one school of thought that Shopify is essentially the shopping engine for Facebook today. Um, and then this latest announcement, they kind of cut Shopify out a little bit like, um, you know, Facebook's kind of introducing their own checkout. So, so it's going to be interesting to see there's almost kind of like a three way war kind of here. So there's like Shopify, which is the Battlestar Galactica ragtag group. And then you have the social guys kind of going their own way. And then you have the, the, the death star of Amazon. Um, I don't, I don't know, you know, it's always so hard for these people to compete with Amazon because of the shipping logistics they have. Um, and the only company in those, that list that's investing in that is Shopify. So, so it's going to be really interesting to watch this next leg of e-commerce to see can Shopify, you know, and, and this may be the wrong framing, but can Shopify be almost like a counter option to 3P sellers and brands against Amazon? I, I think, um, you know, you're seeing a lot of people kind of frame it that way, kind of, uh, Famously, Ben, uh, what's his name, the Strategy guy. Um, he's kind of like setting it up that way. But other folks kind of say, no, it's just this. You know, that that's not the right way to look at it. How do you see Shopify fitting into the, the overall? I think they've surprised everyone with the amount of growth and the GMV that they're producing. So uh, it's hard to count them out at this point. I am. I'm trying to count them in, and um, it's a, it's a company and a stock I've been ramping up on aggressively over the last uh, six to nine months. I'm very intrigued by what they're doing. I like the way they think about uh, their business. I certainly I look at their take rate. It's like 1.67 percent, and it's like, well, wait a second. You know, if they if they can execute well, that take rate can double or triple. That's a lot of growth in the future. So I'm very intrigued by their opportunity. Some of the things I think are maybe false starts, their ability, this um, this app that they have. Uh, I, I just don't think I'm ever going to go to a shop app, Shopify app to start my shopping. I just and I don't you know, I signed up for it. And then I realized um, I just don't need another notification of when my Amazon packages are coming. Uh, I already got that, by the way. And, you know, Amazon will tell me and then Google will tell me, too. So I, I get it. I don't need Shopify to tell me when my Amazon packages are coming. Uh, but um, but I'm intrigued by the potential that Shop has, but probably not as a brand central approach. Probably it's just the um, the uh, the enabler uh, of D to C of D to C you know c- c- commerce uh, activities. Uh, uh, they talked in this last earnings call of of, of um, enabling. I think it was Heinz and Lint. I think those are the two examples that they used to sell directly to consumers. Uh, um, so, okay. That sounds interesting. I just don't think I'm going to go to Heinz.com when I want to buy ketchup, but I'm going to want to buy Heinz. And so, but I'm not going to go to Shopify to find a place where I can buy Heinz. I think I know where to buy Heinz. Uh, so I, I don't know it. There's, there's an opportunity there, but there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of paths that could go the wrong way for them, uh, but they seem to be like a very disciplined management team. So I'm, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. We have an outperform on that stock for what it's worth. Uh, and uh, yeah, and the e-commerce opportunities inflecting up for them as it has for Amazon in this, uh, in this COVID crisis. Yeah. So, so you kind of look at this big picture, uh, you have dramatic digital acceleration. Like it seems like it's, you know, Amazon and Shopify are both clearly poised to benefit from that digital acceleration. What about some of the other digital players? Like who, who else do you think ends up being a winner in this? Like I, I, uh, you mentioned eBay had a, had a sort of uh, unexpected spike. I also think of uh, Stitch Fix and Chewy as two of the like bigger pure play 
you know, digital digital folks. Are they all? Is this a rising tide that's going to lift all boats, or uh, do you think that they're going to lose share to Amazon in this? Well, in the near term, the rising tide will lift all all boats. Uh, Chewy is a company that reprints earnings after tonight. I would think this is a company that dramatically benefits from the COVID crisis. Uh, I saw that Smuckers, which owns, uh, believe it or not, owns uh, a large array of pet food products like Meow Mix is in there, Kibbles and Bits, you know, your other favorite cat food. Uh, they had 60% growth year over year in online retail sales. I mean, you know, geez, uh, they're doing that. I imagine Chewy's going to put up some pretty big numbers tonight. Now, they better. That stock has really gapped up uh, dramatically. But I think they will. I think, they'll put up, um, I think they'll put up really good numbers. You had two trends there. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, one is that people had to buy uh, pet products and, and uh, food and supplies online. The second one is just kind of tangential for pet owners like myself. There was a, there's been a dramatic movement towards pet adoption in the last two months because of shelter-in-place regulations. It hadn't occurred to me right away. But, um, you know, people, when they're, when they're forced to stay in, indoors like that, they look for companionship. And that led to a lot of people, um, uh, to a lot of people adopting pets. And, of course, you have to feed the thing. And, uh, well, you better, you know, that you've heard about this thing called Chewy. And so people signed up. So I think they had like a two to three year just accelerated adoption of their services. And by the way, unlike the rest of retail, you know, where it is interesting to go in and try out things in stores, you know, for fashion apparel. And, you know, there's experiential shopping. I don't think there's such a thing as pet food experiential shopping. So I would think that that's a category that's just ripe for dramatic acceleration uh, online. So uh, Chewy's a name. Stitch Fix 2 is just a couple of question marks we have around it. Like, I'm surprised the growth isn't better there. Um, but they should benefit. Etsy clearly has benefited, too, and not just because of people buying designer face masks. My guess is that they'll have a sustained acceleration, but that's TBD. Yeah, it's interesting. It's funny. I, like, I have to do these briefings, and I give all these negative trends, and you know the world's going to end. And so the, the palate cleanser I always throw in there is every pet in every shelter has been adopted. It's like the one, yes. one sort of feel good story in all this. And you're exactly right. Like we have the largest cohort of new pet owners in the history of the U S and none of them could get their pet food or cat litter or toys from a store. So I like, we'll, we'll see, but I'm expecting that this ha- this had to be super favorable for Chewy. And then of course, Amazon is also a, a great competitor in the pet space. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I think that's a great insight, and that's actually going to be a great place to leave it because we've used up our allotted time. Uh, but, Mark, super appreciate you taking time out. I know uh, you're, you're in high demand right now and a lot going on, and uh, we really enjoyed uh, you sharing some of your insights and your perspective with us. Jason, great talking with you. Scott, always a pleasure talking with you. Great to – I've learned a lot from Scott Wingo over the last 20 years, and I plan to learn a lot more over the next 20 years. Wish you both uh, and your families uh, health and safety. Thanks for coming, Mark. We look forward to uh, seeing you at one of your shows when we can get back to traveling and back to normal. Absolutely. See you, buddy. Until next time. Happy commercing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com. 